to Mr. Biz Radio, biz talk for biz owners. If you're ready to stop faking the funk and take your business onward and upward, this show is for you. And now, here's Mr. Biz, Ken Wentworth. All right, welcome to another episode of Mr. Biz Radio with me, Mr. Biz, Ken Wentworth. And uh, this week, we're going to talk with uh, a very successful business person, and we're going to talk specifically about the value equation. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're going to get into that, uh, but the value equation is going to help you run your business much more effectively and much more successfully. Our guest this week, for those who are listening and not watching, uh, not, not viewing, who can see Chris already, uh, Christopher Volk. He's the author of The Value Equation, hence what we're going to talk about today. Uh, he's been instrumental in leading and publicly listing three successful companies, two of which he co-founded. The most recent is Store Capital, which is S-T-O-R on uh, New York Stock Exchange where he served as founding chief executive officer and then as executive chairman. He has also, uh, he has written about corporate finance since early in his career and has created an award-winning video series about the topic. And he's a regional winner of EY's Entrepreneur of the Year. Chris, welcome to Mr. Biz Radio. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Ken, I'm delighted to be here and it's great to see you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. So, gosh, so much I want to talk about. Um, obviously, we're going to d- uh, dig into the value equation. But before we get into all that, why don't we start with, um, you know, what was your entrepreneurial journey? You've been, you know, you obviously had a long, illustrious career. How did you get started in all this? Where did this all, where did it all start, Chris? Yeah, so, I mean, it starts with, like, with most of your listeners, I imagine. I mean, you start off with nothing. <laughs> so, you graduate <laughs> from college, and you got nothing, and you got a beat up old car, and I took a job with a, a bank in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and um, learned a lot about business from there and, and went to work in Arizona with one of my customers. Um, and somewhere along that journey, I uh, decided that it was uh, a good idea to take that company public. And so I convinced them to do this. And um, uh, and we ended up uh, listing a company in 1994, and I became president of that company and on the board of directors. And uh, ultimately, we sold it to GE Capital. I mean, it was the last company that Jack Welsh bought, and uh, and that was in 2001. And uh, and I lasted at GE Capital maybe 18 months because, you know, you're going from a company that's got 250 people in it, and you're now working in a company with 350,000 people in it, and uh, and for uh, people that are entrepreneurial in nature and and uh, like to sort of uh, see their fingerprints on the business. Uh, it's hard to see your fingerprints on a company that big. And so um, I left and uh, he and I together started a company uh, that we also listed on the New York Stock Exchange a couple of years later. Um, both these companies, by the way, would buy real estate that was used by businesses in their, in their business every day. So, for example, it could be uh, our earliest company started off with restaurants, but later on we got into uh other kinds of profit center assets, whether it's manufacturing or veterinary clinics or early childhood education, we would own the real estate um, and rent it to the people that were running it. And uh, it was a way for them to finance their real estate. They could go to a bank or to a landlord. And so I spent a lot of my career convincing people they were better off with the landlord than a banker. And um, uh, and so uh, when I left GE, I was 47 years old. I was uh, you know, I'd saved up some money. I was willing to take a risk and and start a company all by myself. And uh, uh, so that's what an entrepreneur does. I mean, you you get to this point where you say, "Hey, I, I don't want to look back at my career and say I didn't give it a shot." Um, and I'm going to give this shot. And so, 
uh, we, we've started the second company and uh, listed that on the New York Stock Exchange and grew it. And then uh, it was listed in 2004 and we sold it in 2007 to some Australians. Um, uh, stayed for a while and, and uh, later on left. And, and in 2010, I had an idea for another company and uh, raised some money from investors to do that with some other people. And um, uh, in 2011, uh, we, we started Store Capital and Store Capital was uh, the most successful of the three companies. And we listed that in the New York Stock Exchange in 2014. Our investors included Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway, which is only a uh, real estate investment trust investment. Um, and uh, grew the company to over $9 billion in equity capitalization. And uh, at the end of 2021, I, I stepped down from being CEO to uh, do stuff like this and talk to you. Wow. Uh, so, gosh, so many different things. Um, so the companies, so you, you're, you're founding companies or co-founding companies, and you get them listed and then both of the, the ones you mentioned seemed like it was a pretty short, you know, three, four year reign between uh, taking them public and uh, and selling them. You know, what did what did that look like? I mean, and, and answer that one first, if you would, please. I got man, I got so many things here, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first one was we were public for seven years. So uh, okay. uh, seven years for a public company is probably not too bad. Um, I. You know, GE at the time was triple A rated. We were triple B rated. They wanted to be in our space. Um, uh, I didn't especially want to compete with a triple A rated company uh, that had a cheaper cost of capital than we did. And so the sure. idea was to basically take our platform, which is better than theirs, and, and give it to them. And uh, they would do all kinds of great things. But of course, none of that ever happened, by the way. I mean, GE blew up, uh, essentially. But um, and then the second company was fast. I mean, we took it uh, public in 2004. We sold it in 07. Um, again, we had an offer from some Australian investors that was very attractive. Our investors made a 19% compound annual rate of return. I mean, these companies' returns ranged between uh, 12% and 19%. And the last one is kind of like the 13, 14%, right? And, and, and all that stuff is better than the stock market. So we did really well on all of them. Um, and, uh, uh, but anyway, so, so we had an opportunity to sell it and it seemed good at the time. And, uh, uh, and our investors did very well. And, and uh, I think that's what you do. You're, you're trying to sort of listen to your investors. You're trying to do the best thing for your stakeholders to make the organization competitive and give people opportunities. And so we did that. Now, you, I think you mentioned this, uh, but I want to make sure I uh, understand. So it sounds like all three are real estate-based companies. Is that correct? All three are real estate-based companies, although I would... I really view them as being almost like non-bank financial services companies. So, um, and, uh, but you look at the left side of our balance sheet and there's just a flat ton of real estate on it. Um, uh, And so sometimes people say, you know, what you do is real estate. And that's not really what we do. The reason the real estate's there is because we're providing a financial service to the tenant and the, and the tenant has this choice of like, uh, you know, how do I want my capital stack to look when I'm financing this business and I could, I could go to a bank, I could put up equity, I could borrow the real, you know, borrow money and own the real estate, or I could not own the real estate, and just rent it from Chris. And so uh, we convinced them that renting from Chris is like a better idea. Gotcha. Well, it's interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that since this is well in your, your wheelhouse, you know, it's interesting to hear, even with McDonald's, I mean, everyone looks obviously at McDonald's and, you know, McDonald's in, in a lot of ways is a real estate company. 
um, because they own uh, the they, real estate where all their stores are. And of course, they're ubiquitous globally now. Uh, it's just crazy. Yeah. So the guy who was the general counsel for McDonald's was on our board of directors. And he is the guy that went to Ray Kroc early on and convinced them to own real estate because it was a way to have better control over franchisees. It was not really viewed to be an investment at the time. It was a way to sort of muscle the franchisees if you needed to do it. And this is, you have to remember, it was a rough and tumble world back then. And it eventually has become uh, basically the backbone of McDonald's. They're one of the world's largest real estate companies. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people don't realize that. Funny you mentioned that. I know we got to hit a break here, uh, Chris, but uh, for anyone out there, if you're an entrepreneur, if you have not seen the movie The Founder, you got to watch it. It's about the McDonald's story, and specifically Ray Kroc, and it's probably not what you think about Ray Kroc. I'll just say that much. Um, we're going to hit a break here. We're going to come back after the break. We'll get the Mr. Biz tip of the week. We'll continue talking with Chris Volk, and you can find out more at his uh, website, thevalueequation.com. If you would like to reach hundreds of thousands of business owners every week, Mr. Biz Radio can help. Our show airs globally seven days a week for more than 25 hours across several internet radio stations plus 20 plus podcast platforms. Also, video exposure on the new exclusive Mr. Biz Network streaming channel, which gets blasted to 100 plus streaming platforms and the Mr. Biz YouTube channel and our 350,000 social media followers multiple times every week. Join Mr. Biz Nation as an advertiser by emailing us at info at MrBizSolutions.com. Are you ready to automate your business? Automation is the key to scaling a business and building wealth. It's also one of the most difficult things for a small business owner to do on their own. If you're looking for help with automation, Pulse Technology CRM can help. We have an exclusive offer for Mr. Biz Nation. We will build everything for free, even if it's a sophisticated funnel. Visit thepulsespot.com forward slash Mr. Biz for this exclusive offer. Got a question for Mr. Biz you want answered on air? Email it to info at mrbizsolutions.com. Now, once again, here's Mr. Biz. All right, welcome back to Mr. Biz Radio. And as we always do at the top second segment, it is time for the Mr. Biz Tip of the Week. This week's tip is actually a quote uh, from someone that's uh, it's, it's kind of a, a friend slash mentor to me, uh, Mr. Brandon Dawson. For those of you who are loyal listeners or viewers of the show, um, you've heard me mention Brandon uh, many times before. He's a, a business partner with Grant Cardone, et cetera. And uh, ironically enough, they have some real estate uh, hoardings as well with, uh, with Cardone Capital. Uh, but his quote is, and I find this a, a pretty amazing quote, it's one of those things that you got to kind of digest it a little bit and think about it. But um, his quote is, what you think is what you say, what you say is what you do, and what you do becomes your legacy. Uh, there's a lot of different things you could get out of that quote, I think. But um, what I get out of it is you got to be careful what words come out of your mouth, because those are going to be the things that you focus on and the things that you do, especially as a leader. Um, and obviously, we're going to talk with Chris about leadership as well. But also, you know, the things that you do create your legacy. So it's it's about doing. You know, we talk about it being entrepreneurs, et cetera. And, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, a uh, pretty, pretty famous guy in the entrepreneur space, talks about, you know, ideas are crap. Uh, he says a little more bluntly than that. But it's about execution. Um, and so what I take from Brandon's quote is, is you got to be very careful, especially as a leader, about what you say. Um, but specifically, take action. Um, so many people who are entrepreneurs or never get off the ground as entrepreneurs, I think they just 
they're afraid of the risk or they have too much fear and they just don't take action. Take action and figure it out. You're going to make mistakes. I mean, it's just the long and short of it. You're going to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to take those act, uh, those actions and learn from them and do better the next time. So that is the Mr. Biz Tip of the Week this week. Uh, let's get back into talking with Mr. Chris Volk. Again, you can find out more. He's the author of The Value Equation. Uh, follow him on LinkedIn as well as go to his website, thevalueequation.com. That's thevalueequation.com. Um, so, Chris, let's talk a little bit. What, um, I guess, how did it evolve um, with all your broad experience you've had and uh, with taking companies public and, and selling companies, et cetera? What led you to write this book, The Value Equation? Well, the, there is an equation, but we won't necessarily go into that. But, uh, uh, you know, I've been writing articles my whole career. And uh, in 1999, before we uh, sold uh, our first company to GE, I wrote a book. Uh, uh, I mean, I wrote, wrote an article that was published uh, that basically introduced the value equation. And the article won an award. And uh and then after that, I was writing more and more articles about this stuff. I was always interested as a credit guy. I was always interested in business models, you know, and how business models work. Um, and uh, and I would sit there at a spreadsheet, at a computer spreadsheet, and I would design company after company where I would be looking at lots and lots of businesses. And it all started in banking and whatnot. But um, uh, and if. As I did this, my earliest financial models were pretty long and complicated, but I realized that you could basically do a universal business model with as few as six variables. Um, and uh, uh, and those six variables became the value equation. And then what you can do is you can start to throw away the spreadsheet. I mean, uh, um, and for entrepreneurs, if you're, if you're thinking about um, how wealth is created, well, most wealth is created by business owners. I mean, uh, over two thirds of millionaires are business owners, and 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 what drives their wealth is really solid business models. And uh, and so, the more you understand about business models uh, and what we have is, you know, what we can control as leaders of companies, um, then the better you have as a chance for for success and so uh so in writing the value equation the book it's basically a synthesis of 20 years of writing and uh lots of years of running public companies and focusing on uh my cost of equity which i was always trying to make a return on capital that was a return on equity higher than what it cost uh, i don't want my equity guys just getting what they want i want to make a better return than that because if I can make a better return than that, that's where shareholder wealth gets created. And so all the guys that are at the top of the Forbes 400 have, by and large, companies that are insanely unicornish. They are uh, huge returns. They're addressing big markets. And and it's the returns that create the value. You know, the, the assets just don't appreciate. You know, real estate doesn't just appreciate. You got to have higher and higher levels of cash flow, nice rates of return. You have to have a good business model. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess, um, again, I don't want you to give away too much of the secret sauce, especially uh, during the third segment. I want to talk about, um, I know you have, you know, four things that any business needs to be successful. And I want to make sure, so don't give up too much of that secret sauce, because I want to make sure we we have time to talk about that during the next segment. But, you know, what, it, I mean, I guess, especially with your experience um, in not only taking companies public, but also then su being successful in selling them to, to large entities and having large entities be investors in your companies. Um, you know, what's, 
What's one of those things that you see people, business owners, swing and miss on the most often? Well, this comes down to, you know, when you're setting up a company, the, the, the first thing you're doing is you're solving a problem. You know, I mean, and the problem could be is, you know, range from providing a sandwich to launching satellites into space. Um, and you and you have to uh, think through the problem you're solving. Who's going to care? Wh- which customer is going to care? Um, and then you have to build a business model around that. That's that's also super hard. And you got to get a team of people. That's interesting and it's hard. Um, if you can have a problem that you're solving, uh, a business model around it, and a solid team of people, there are 10,000 or so private equity firms that would love to, to back you. You know, it's almost easier to find the money than it is to find the solid people, the good problem solving uh, uh, solution um, and a business model. If you can do that, then you're then you're kind of on your way to getting it done. And you've got to ask yourself the hard questions. Why would this business guy, why would this shareholder buy my stock and, and not buy somebody else's stock? Um, uh, you know, what what's special about me? And. All companies, even if they're startups, have a moat of some kind. I mean, there, there's some reason why they exist, you know, and that uh, uh, there's something that's, uh, that they have going for them. And that's what you got to harness and uh, uh, take your best shot and uh, go out and raise some money. So I got to ask this. Uh, we've only got uh, about a minute and a half left before we got to take another break here. But this has to be something that was near and dear to your heart, whether you wanted it to be or not. I'm sure you were kind of forced into this. What's one thing that from resources for your company, hiring people, what's one thing that you, that's not so obvious maybe that, you know, obviously you've, I'm sure you've hired uh, hundreds of people, if not thousands over the years. What's one thing that you look for in a resource when you're hiring someone, regardless of the position, regardless of the level, what is like one thing that might even be something intangible that, that again, maybe people would just don't, don't even consider when they're looking for resources. Cause I know it's so difficult right now. Well, first, I, one of my sayings is you can't train smart, you know, so sometimes when you're interviewing people, you got smart people and you have people that aren't so smart. Um, <laughs> so, you, so you're always better off, you know, hiring the smartest people you can find. Um, uh, you want people that can solve problems. They're critical thinkers. Um, uh, you know, business is, a, is fundamentally creative, you know, um, and uh and it's fundamentally virtuous because you're solving problems for lots of people. I mean, you're you're giving benefit to lots of people, which which is one of the great things about business. And um, uh, and so you want to solve, find people that can help you solve problems. You want them to be able to write. Uh, you want them to be able to uh, articulate uh, and 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 sell the product. And um, and then I can train them on anything after that. I can train them on on almost any any part of the business after I find that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I I, I want to. We got to hit a break here, but I want to comment on that as well because um, I, I think I, I've lived that and breathed it as well. So come back back after the break on Mr. Biz Radio. How would you like to have direct access to Mr. Biz to help you run your business more profitably and more efficiently? At MrBizSolutions.com, you get live access to not only Mr. Biz, but also several of his hand-picked and trusted business experts, each with 20-plus years of experience to help you optimally manage and grow your business. That's just the start of where Mr. Biz Solutions begins. Learn more at MrBizSolutions.com. That's MrBizSolutions.com. Business owners have a continually growing to-do list with little time for revenue-producing activities. With Check Off Your List and their experienced team of virtual assistants, you can focus on growing your business. 
Visit CheckOffYourList.com to learn how CheckOffYourList's skilled team can handle your day-to-day tasks like social media, bookkeeping, calendar maintenance, and much more. Contact CheckOffYourList at CheckOffYourList.com or call 888-262-1249 to see how their virtual assistants can help you live to work rather than work to live. Check out all three of Mr. Biz's best-selling books at MrBizBooks.com. Now, once again, here's Mr. Biz. All right, welcome back to the show. And uh, we're talking again this week with Mr. Chris Volk. You can find out more at his website, thevalueequation.com. And that's also the title of his book. Definitely recommend going out and checking that out. We're going to scratch the surface a little bit on some of the things that you can, you can find in that book. But, um, you know, I wanted to kind of pick up on what you had mentioned, Chris. You know, I had a mentor that many years ago, um, you know, when I worked in a corporate world and I was at a Fortune 15 company and hiring tons and tons of people over the years, and uh, pretty early on, as I was sort of evolving as someone hiring people and what should I be looking for and things like that, I had a, a mentor who said, hire people, and I think this touches on exactly what you mentioned, hire people who bring you solutions, not problems. And I said, well, it's inevitable you're going to have challenges and problems and you know whatever. And he said, no, that's not what I mean. Yes, you're going to have problems and challenges, but there's a difference between an employee that works for you and comes to you and says, hey, boss, XYZ broke and basically dumps the problem on you. Or the, pro- the employee who comes to you and says, hey, boss, X, Y, and Z broke, and here are two options on how we can fix it. Which direction should we go? Massive difference. Massive difference. And you know, I think it ties into what you were mentioning, Chris, as far as you know, people that are, A, smart, and they're creative, Right. If you're just going to, as an employee, if you're just going to come and dump the problem in my lap and I have to figure it out, then maybe I don't really need you, right? (laughs) Because I can fix the problem myself. So I think that's uh, a key. And I found over the years, critically important, um, as you mentioned, is I think people who possess some of those tangible as well as intangible skills end up being the best employees because whatever you throw at them, they'll figure it out. You know, the problem solvers, as you had mentioned. So I think that's uh, a sage advice. Um, Like I said, I know I lived it as well. Um, one time I, I, sure I walked. I'm sorry, I say, one of one time I walked into uh, my my longtime business partner's office when, when I was uh, a, a relatively new employee, and I uh, I gave him a problem, and uh, and he says, "Well, how do you fix that?" And he says, "Well, I'm not really sure." I said, "You're the you're the CEO. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you I've got this problem." And he says, "Never come into my office again unless you have a solution." I said, "Done." <laughs> and uh, so, just a short story where. Uh, uh, I was on the uh, receiving end of that advice. Yeah, yeah, pretty interesting. Um, well, look, I want to make sure we have enough time here, and, and time's uh, as always running out quickly. But um, I know you have you have four things that you like to mention that you know any business, regardless of what you're in, needs in order to be successful. And so I wanted to, if you could, outline those four things for us, Chris. Well, we sort of already touched on them. I mean, the the four things are, are going to be that you know, you. you have a problem you want to solve. All, all businesses solve problems. Um, and uh, uh, so let's say you take uh, uh, Sergey Brin and Larry Page, they started Google. Uh, the problem they were solving was how to make internet searches better. You know, uh, So they devised a way to do that. Then the second step is how do you bridge that solution to creating a business model? I mean, and that's not as easy as it sounds. It is. It's. It takes some thought process as to how you're going to create a business model around that. Um, they ended up creating 
an insanely great business model, which uh, harnessed a simple uh, solution uh, to a problem to, to get to generating advertising revenue and using data to be able to um, uh, create enormous returns for Google shareholders. Um, uh, by the way, I mean, there's not a chance that these two graduate students at the time thought they would ever be billionaires. I mean, uh, right. uh, they were just plotting along like the rest of us, you know. Um, but what they had going for them was they had a hugely scalable company, a very big idea uh, that uh, was not just national, but international in terms of scope. And you tend to find that with the unicorn guys at the top of the food chain. And, and of mm -hmm. course, you know, my businesses were less unicornish. I mean, you know, we're, we're solving problems for a lot of people. We had investments in, in all 50 states and whatnot, but, uh, but you know, not really on the scale of something like a, a Google. And the business model, by the way, that we had wasn't as good as theirs. Um, uh, doesn't mean that we didn't do all well, but it just sure. it wasn't as good as that. Uh, yeah. I, the, the next thing is obviously the team. I mean, you got to put together the team of people that are going to do it. And they should have complementary skill sets. It shouldn't be the same person four times over, you know. I mean, uh, uh, and uh, and they should listen to each other, um, uh, and uh, uh, and realize what uh, their strengths and weaknesses are, and play off each other. And if you can do that, you got a team, you know, you got uh, a problem that you can solve and a business model. Uh, now you're on your way. And the last thing I would say that would really help is is understanding what your core competencies are. I mean, uh, in companies. Uh, especially young companies, uh, you know, people get focused on things like what their values are, or whatnot. I find their values are all the same. They all want to be honest. They all want to be, uh, you know, treat their customers with respect. I mean, you can go through the whole list of, of corporate values and, and I like them all, you know, but core competencies are different. Core competencies are what are the things that are really essential for this particular company at this particular time that we can do right now that we do really well and that we want to really focus on. And, um, uh, and if you think about core competencies, there are probably just four or five things that companies would want to do at any point in time. And if you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneurs are the worst. They're, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we are, uh, our, you know, we, we basically are uh, uh, optimistic. We are attracted by shiny objects. You know, right. We want to get to, we can get distracted super easily. You know, we want to go on to the next big thing. And, uh, uh, and so when you're doing core competencies, you're saying, no, no, you can't do this. We're building this company and we're focusing on these four or five things that we do exceptionally well. And if we're if we're uh, if there's something else that's not on those four or five things, let's ignore it. Like we're not going to we're not going to deal with it. We're focusing on these things uh, because these things are central to our business model that we created, which is the second step. Right. And uh, and so once you do that, you're focusing on your core competencies, you get your leadership team to buy into that then that leadership team will get all the employees to buy into it as well, right? And so this is how you create corporate cultures where you're pushing down the things that you're good at and things people should focus on and not deviate, and it gives you a better chance for success. Yeah, I love it. And, and you know, one of the things that I see often in, in what I do and I'm dealing with clients every day is, and I even saw it in the corporate world, actually the first time I saw it was in the corporate world was um, where you mentioned having, you know, having that great team with complementary skill sets. We so often, I mean, it's human nature that you either consciously maybe, or at least subconsciously, you hire people who are like you, right? Because presumably you like yourself. And so, um, you know, I, I had a real quick instance in the corporate world where we all took, there were eight of us on a leadership team, including our, our, uh, our leader, and we took the Myers-Briggs and uh, seven of the eight of us were all ENTJs. 
And he thought that was great. He's like, oh my gosh, this is great. You know, ENTJs are natural leaders, et cetera, et cetera, which sounds great. But it really made me think that, gosh, we're kind of missing out because we're all kind of have the same mindset around things. Not just the skill set, obviously very important as well to have those complementary things, but even the way you think about things and approach problems, we need someone, ENTJs need someone who gets stuff done. Cause you know, they're like what you had mentioned before, you know, they're chasing the new shiny object, they're leaders, they don't want to get in the weeds. So they need someone who's operationally sound. Um, that's maybe another, you know, four letter Myers-Briggs person type thing. Um, and then, you know, on the creative side, you know, having someone like that. So I think it's very important to make sure that you're self-aware enough. You know, I started to do that when in the corporate world is when we lost someone, I would assess the leadership team and say, you know, of the core competencies that we need in this leadership team, what are we missing now that this person is gone? What do I need to make sure this next person coming in has to, to fill out the full skill set that we needed for that team? So I think that's critically important, something that uh, oftentimes I find that, that leaders miss out on. Uh, I totally agree. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, look, guys, we're out of time here, unfortunately, uh, Chris, but I really appreciate you coming on the show. Number one, go out and follow uh, Chris on LinkedIn. It's Christopher Volk on LinkedIn. Um, go to his website, thevalueequation.com. You can find his book there as well, which is obviously called The Value Equation. Um, fantastic information, Chris. Uh, as always, time flies when you're having fun. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, Ken, it's been a, my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, thanks so much for watching or listening, depending on how you're consuming the show. Um, have a great week, uh, as always. And don't forget, cash flow is king. To become part of Mr. Biz Nation, follow him on all social media platforms or never miss a show by going to MrBizRadio.com. If you prefer free video content, visit the Mr. Biz YouTube channel or check out his streaming channel, which is available on 100 plus streaming platforms at MrBizNetwork.com.